your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Monday of Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talking text line. Should have a pretty fun show. We could see end up. Let's look and figure out where we're going to end up, though. Uh, I'm going to have Adam Hoffer on. He's the UW lacrosse professor of economics. So inflation. Talk about inflation a little bit. Uh, housing market. I uh, I want to I want to ask him about members of Congress trading stocks. Where they sit on that, or where he sits on that, I feel like uh, members of Congress probably shouldn't trade stocks, but it seems a little bit more complicated than that. I think uh, as uh, a lot of people probably live and die by the stock market, and if you can't do that, then then what? But we pay them enough, right? We pay them enough. Six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four. Um. With some other things, I, I just uh, trying to get the text line up. Come on, text line. There we go. Um, the other, the other thing I thought maybe we're doing, uh, you know, the Citizens United. I may, maybe ask him about that. How how the amount of money that's flooded into politics has changed uh, everything, perhaps uh, since Citizens United. I know before Citizens United. Uh, about thirty-one million dollars was uh, went into politics a year, and after it was one point two billion dollars. And all of the, almost all of those contributions come from, you know, regular people. No, I'm just kidding. They don't at all. Uh, another another topic we've we've discussed in a little bit with multiple people is. The idea that Governor Evers floated last year with or last week with the uh, budget Wisconsin's budget surplus. We we missed the budget surplus. We were off by three billion dollars six months ago. Six months later, come to now, and we're like, well, we have an extra three billion here that we didn't predict we were going to have. So, a, how do you miss that? I'll ask him about that. How do you miss three billion dollars? Maybe that's pretty feasible. And then also, what are we going to do with that $3 billion? We put it in the piggy bank. Do kids nowadays even know what a piggy bank is? Anyone with kids out there? Just just let me know. Are you getting your kids a piggy bank? Is that a thing? Is is money, cash money, a thing anyway, anymore? How do you, how do you incentivize your kids? Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say I, ha- I would have a lot of cash on hand. I don't have kids, so I don't know. Are you just paying off your kids to do chores, right? That's kind of how that works, right? That's how it worked when I was a kid. I'm going to do my chores and get paid. I think it was a penny a potato bug. For every potato bug that I picked off the plants in the garden, I got a penny. What a what a deal that was for my dad, I think. A penny. That was like the 1980s. So uh, what's a potato bug going for nowadays? A dollar? couple dollars is there even cash do you even incentivize your kids with cash or is it with you know wi-fi passwords i bet you that's more it which is probably better for parents right you save a little money save a little bit of money all i gotta do is withhold the wi-fi password and then the children will do everything i say shovel the driveway mow the lawn vacuum dust i hated dusting i just 
still hate dusting. I still hate doing all that stuff. That's why I don't have a lawn. Um, yeah, so I kind of want to get Adam in here, Adam Hoffer at UW Lacrosse sooner. So instead of me rambling about it, let's just go to Brad doing the news, take a little bit of a break, and we'll be back after this. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM, 608-785-7914. The Hoff's on with me. Adam, you recognize this music? Oh, good old Knight Rider. (laughs) Yeah, I've been watching Knight Rider on Netflix. To nobody's, uh, to everybody's surprise, I think. Nobody likes Knight Rider. I asked my mom. I'm like, Mom, Knight Rider's on Netflix. You got to check it out. She's like, no, absolutely not. I was like, what? This is a show that I feel like. Is, is transcends time and maybe it doesn't because it's like a 1980s Trans Am that jumps everything every episode. We just call it classic. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and I was like, has anyone add? Does it do? Do literally people call you the Hoff or not really? It seems like out of date now. It, it has been a while. I <laughs> I certainly went by Hoff in high school. Now uh, I, I I make all the the kids call me Professor Hoffer. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and that's who we're speaking to, Professor Adam Hoffer. He's a UW lacrosse uh, professor of economics. Been doing that ten years. Um, you kind of have you kind of have a wide array of of you know economic, political economy, sports economy. Uh, but what would, what would you say is your just like this is the my favorite thing to when it comes to. To, to the the economy, what's your favorite thing to talk about? Well, the thing I love about economics is that I get to study just about everything. Uh, I, I love looking at all sorts of different stuff. Uh, my favorite topic within economics is actually sports economics. I, I teach sports economics at UWL every spring, half for 10 years, and uh, it is the kind of thing that uh, I, I joke with my students. It's I, I get to sit and watch NFL playoff games and the Super Bowl and uh, say that I'm hard at work. Yeah, do you? if you were on the clock, you could use that as part of your hours. Of course. I, I, I think I, I need to get myself some tickets to some more games and uh, call those reasonable work expenses. What do, what do students at UWL get out of a sports economy class? Like, do they do they take that on to a career somewhere? Or are they looking to work get into work in the sports field somehow? Oh, the fun thing about sports economics is that uh, we look at sports from a whole bunch, lots of data and lots of interest in professional leagues. But as we know, sports are a really big part of our culture. Uh, you'll see sports on the nightly news, right? And so we we cover not only professional sports, but then we talk about what it's like to work for a local parks department. And uh, you know, we we did some work a couple of years ago on what the city park. Uh, City Parks Department was going to try to do for the now-built train park, and uh, we're actually going to work with the City of Trempolo this semester about a big park project they're starting to to get in the works. Now, do, do you come away with the idea that train park in Lacrosse, which I think costs around four million dollars, if I remember right, uh, not that the city paid for that, but I think a lot of that was donated money. Do you come come away from that? Can you at this point? Train park's only been open this summer. Uh, that it was a success? I mean, so personally, I live less than a mile away from Train Park. Uh, we went there almost every single weekend this summer. It is a it is a remarkable park. Uh, I do think that it will get more use over time. Uh, I think they, uh, I mean, originally when they built it, every single time I went, it was hard to get a parking spot. They, they added a second parking lot 
just based on sheer demand. And so I think it's getting a lot of usage. Uh, I haven't seen the final numbers in terms of where all the money came from to build it, public investment versus private donations. And I know they got a lot of grant money to build it as well. Uh, but I know we are a city that, that thrives. I, I think we take great pride in our parks, uh, and they get well used. Uh, I, I think it's actually a great thing that we, we finally have a park that works for families of all abilities, right? They, they named it the Train All Abilities Park. The next step would be to build maybe a four- or five-story parking garage and then connect that to some kind of zip line setup uh, so we can zip line from the top floor of the parking garage right into the park. Well, if, if you want to start a petition for a new adult park, uh, I'm all on board with a, a multi-story zip line. <laughs> well, you said parking's a problem, so I'm trying to kill two birds with one <laughs> stone. Um, all right, when it comes to the sports economy, I, I, I saw this tweet the other day from a Lions offensive lineman, Tyrell Crosby, um, and it has to do with just the idea that we let members of Congress uh, trade stocks. I don't know if this is your forte, but it's kind of – some one of the things that we don't often think about until we want until we really hear about one of our members from Congress uh, thriving and and thriving in the stock market and you're just like really, but the the Crosby said uh, on Twitter if an NFL players if NFL players aren't allowed to bet on games which he fully agrees with why are government officials allowed to buy stocks and stock options. Um, is that a, a fair comparison? NFL players betting on games versus Congress buying stock or uh, buying and selling stocks. Well, I, I, I certainly think that there's a, a slight disconnect, but I, I think it's a very reasonable question, and I think he makes a, a great point on that. I I do study political economy. I follow politicians and what they do, and try to give some good analyses of, of public policies. The idea of letting members of Congress bet on stocks. Well, just ludicrous, right? Uh, they have the ability to not only uh, determine how some companies do in terms of enacting policy and creating regulations that affect those companies, um, but then they also get that information before the rest of us. They sit in committee meetings, they uh, vote on proposals that will affect those companies. So I, I think it's a completely reasonable uh, conclusion to come to that we don't want members of Congress to have stake in any individual stock any of any kind. Uh, Congress members actually got their wrists slapped about a decade ago now uh, whenever a study came out that showed, uh, on average, congressional investment portfolios beat the market. And the researchers looked at why, and it was really simple. They would buy stocks and sell stocks after they would have committee meetings, and they knew how it was going to affect certain companies, so they'd they'd buy before companies were made better off, solar investments before solar subsidies came out, and then they'd sell before companies were about to be made worse off through additional regulations. Yeah, the the the, the fact that they can they can do that, and then it just you, you can see them improve. There's a there's a TikTok I think page or TikTok users are just following members of Congress and just because Congress has to disclose I think what they do in the stock market, so they're just following, so to speak. We we always pick on Nancy Pelosi in in the media I think, but <laughs> I don't know why we do that. Do you know why we always pick on Nancy Pelosi? Is it just because she's kind of old and and looks fragile and doesn't I don't know. It just it makes it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Well, she. Uh... 
She's a rather high-ranking member of Congress. I, I would say Nancy Pelosi gets as much picked on as uh, Mitch McConnell, <laughs> and they have a lot in common in terms of uh, their age, uh, though they are on the opposite side of the political spectrum. Uh, I, I think that they make themselves targets, and then uh, the, the things they do make them even easier to pick on. <laughs> yeah, and the, the, this idea that they just follow her stock portfolio that she has to publicly disclose, and they make all kinds of money on it. It's kind of funny. But you said it is ludicrous, So, and it's also ludicrous that we have to rely on the people that make the laws to govern themselves on their ability to buy and sell stocks. They're never going to do that. They could talk about it. It's an election year. It's a great talking point right now. Hey, yeah, we really should maybe uh, not allow ourselves to buy and sell stocks because we're making all kinds of money. Let's talk about that for a year and then come next year. We won't do anything about it. We'll just, we'll just, you know, it'll go away. But it, I don't know if it will go away. I think people, a lot of people are getting pissed about this. Yeah, I mean, this is the same group of people that gets to uh, vote on their own raises and uh, decide what their benefits look like as well. <laughs> and so, sure, in election years, they they might shy away from things, but uh, I would certainly not be shocked if, if we saw uh, this fade away in a couple of weeks and then all of a sudden we forget about it and nothing happens. Yeah, and it, I mean, does it really... I honestly don't have any stocks. I don't. I don't think we. Uh, I think I took a seventh grade class, and we might have t- took a couple of weeks to buy some stocks, like fake stocks. But I, I don't know anything about the stock market. I'm not really invested there. Uh, you need to have money to do that, and uh, don't have a ton of that. <laughs> but but this idea that these uh, lawmakers, they these um, in the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate, they make enough money. Would they? Would their lives be that deterred if they couldn't? make millions of dollars in the stock market like their livelihoods you know beyond you know what they do in congress when they do in their off time they can't make money uh, through the stock market is that going to harm them is it fair to not allow them to do that is there ways to, to curtail that oh i i'm confident that the members of congress would be just fine if they weren't allowed to buy itself particular stocks uh you know the the median member of congress is a a multi-millionaire um and so denying them the ability to invest in individual stocks is, is, would make almost no difference to them. Uh, I, I saw a proposal to me that made the most sense, and it is that you allow members of Congress to be invested in the stock market. They just have to buy something that is a, a broad market amalgam of, of a whole bunch of different stocks together, something like a, a, a Vanguard total stock market portfolio. They can buy and sell that as they want, but uh, they won't be able to gain any particular advantage over the rest of us by picking individual winners and losers. Yeah, kind of like how a 401k works a little bit, right? Exactly. It's exactly the way that a 401k works, that almost any retirement or pension system works. You, you, you buy the whole market, right? So you own some of every company, uh, and that way you just follow along what the market does. Uh, with, again, with no particular advantage of being able to pick a, a single winner or loser. Drawing a comparison to with uh, you know Congress not being allowed or being allowed to buy and sell stocks versus an athlete being allowed to bet on games, I think the athlete would be more scrutinized. Uh, clearly, the athlete would be more scrutinized. If you look at Pete Rose, uh, if they were throwing the game that they were involved in because they had some money on it, because. Uh, we, if we if we knew that, if we figured that out, because we can kind of figure out what 
our Congress people are doing in the stock market. It's just funny that we don't scrutinize this more. It's weird that it's kind of, I don't know, is this always news and I'm just getting light of it? Or is this something that just comes comes and goes every maybe five years, this, this idea that we don't want Congress in the stock market? I, I, I think there are a lot of things about Congress that we dislike that we just sort of set in the back of our minds most of the time. Uh, and then every once in a while, somebody points out something that's particularly egregious, and we say, like, wow, how in the world is this possible? Um, and so this is the kind of thing that, you know, with with social media and, and the way that uh, things can become uh, viral, I, I hesitate to use that word, but <laughs> the way that, that messages can go viral pretty quickly these days uh you know, this kind of thing might spur some action if, if, if we keep the the fire going for a little bit. Yeah, and we've had uh, quite a few Senate candidates here trying to take Ron Johnson's seat, come out against, uh, you know, if they were elected to Senate, their ability to buy and sell stocks. So, um, And I have one of those on on Wednesday, Alex Lazary. We're speaking with Adam Hoffer. He's a political economist, a sports economist. He's an economist. He's a professor of economics at UW-Lacrosse. Been doing that a decade um, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about inflation a little bit, and uh, that's like the hot topic. How how often is inflation a hot topic, Adam? Well, it hasn't been a hot topic for uh, really almost two decades. <laughs> Nobody's cared too much about inflation, uh, but now that it's here, you'll you'll hear about it a lot. All right, we'll be back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the text line if you want to shoot us a text. Adam Hoffer is on with me. He's a UW Lacrosse political science professor. I should have played the Baywatch theme, Adam. That's what I should have did this, this time around. Well, I, I told I was, I was going to say, playing some Dave Matthews bands, this is this is straight uh, straight straight up a couple old guys talking here. This, <laughs> right. this is great. I I love the tunes. Yeah, right, right in your wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Like we were talking, your your last name's Hoffer, so calling you the Hoff. We were talking about Knight Rider. Also, I think for a while on Amazon Prime was uh, Baywatch. I don't know. Do you, do you remember watching Baywatch? You must have been. I do remember Baywatch. Uh, I've also been flooded with commercials about a, a, a new Pam and Tommy show series that's coming out about oh. the tape. Oh, good. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> Baywatch harder to watch than Knight Rider because uh, you know everyone can make fun of the uh, the slow motion bikini or swimsuit running scenes on the beach <laughs> in Baywatch, but Baywatch does two montages every episode where it's just a minute of those bikini or or, or you know women and men in swimsuits running on the beach. Two mo- like musical montages. It's all, it's really hard to watch. I can't stand. Uh, two minutes of my life just watching slow motion running. As much as I love that when I was twelve, not so much now. uh all right so uh, adam hoffer is the he's a a professor of economics he's been doing that a decade he's you know he likes the political economy so this thing that made news last week i I call it governor evers gonna make it rain with 150 dollars checks to all the wisconsin residents um but he's not really i don't think he's really gonna do that i think it's going to be more like it's just gonna show up in your taxes somehow so you won't maybe you, you won't even be able to see it which for me is probably good, and I, I'm guessing a lot of people, because if I got a $150 check in the mail, like I got a $1,200 check, like I got, a think, a $600 check. Did we get another check? Did we get three checks from the government, Adam? Uh, well, depending on how much you made, I, I believe you did. And then some of us also get uh, 
uh, advanced child tax credits. I don't know if you have any kids, but I, I got a few of those checks last year as well. Okay, so yeah, and you might be thinking when you get the child tax credit check, which ended now, right? We didn't. We did that was a thing. We, probably smart if Democrats want to buy votes, they should probably extend the child tax credit through like maybe the 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 year of the election instead of having it end on uh, at the end of last year. Well, they could always reinstate it in October. <laughs> Yeah, and and so the, uh, Senator Joe Manchin, West Virginia, right? I think yeah. uh, he's always picked on for that child tax credit thing, and and then I I listened to a little interview from him why he he voted down. I think was it the was it Build Back Better? It might have been. No, I don't think it was Build Back Better. It was the other one, the Social Infrastructure Bill, and and he gave some pretty good reasons. He's like the child tax credit went to everybody, no matter how much money you made. And to me, I was like, yeah, that's probably makes sense, because if I'm making $2 million a year, I don't know if uh, that person needs a child's tax credit, a child tax credit. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to taxes, there are a lot of really low-hanging fruit in terms of ways to make the tax code a lot better, a lot more fair, uh, and fix a lot of the problems that we have. But for some reason, when it comes to, I mean, you're talking about this exact example of the child tax credit. It seems like it would have been easy enough to make that kind of small revision and then move the bill forward. But for some reason, these small revisions that seem to make a lot of sense to a lot of us, both just as American voters and then also uh, putting on my economist hat, things that make a lot of sense, they just, for some reason, never make their way into these bills. And even as a political economist who has studied this for decades, I can't give you a good reason why that keeps happening. Are these Congress people just not great at math, and they're like, "Oh, I'm going to have to take seventy thousand I mean, it is kind of weird if you if you capped it at like seventy grand, a, a single parent making seventy grand, they don't get the, ch- the child tax credit. Anyone under that, that would really suck for the person making seventy thousand dollars and one cent, right? Oh, of, of course. Well, and I mean, if if you look at how much the child tax credit was as part of the larger infrastructure package. It's really, really, really small. <laughs> I mean, on these on these trillion-dollar packages, even something that costs a couple hundred million dollars, which sounds like a really big number on its own, a couple hundred million dollars, is really small in a multi-trillion-dollar package. Yeah, it's, it, and I always argue on the show here that we could just, you know, make the child tax credit a standalone bill. We never do standalone bills. I don't know if that's because... Um, that's how you get bipartisan support on stuff, or if that's how Congress sneaks in crap that you know we we don't get into the weeds on the you know four thousand page document, but uh, that's how they sneak in the stuff into these uh, what omnibus bills, right? Yeah, we we call that log rolling or sometimes pork barrel spending. Uh, before the before the votes on the first uh, coronavirus relief package, or maybe it was the second one. It's, it's bad that I can't even remember which one's which these days. <laughs> Uh, it was remarkable that uh, there was only one senator, I, I think it was Rand Paul, of all people, saying, I, I can't believe we're going to vote on this. This is 4,000 pages. There's no way any of you have actually read this. <laughs> How can we go vote on something that nobody here has read? <laughs> was, that, was, was that when he printed off? Did he, did he print it off? Did, didn't he stand in front of a stack of papers? I feel like that was that. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and- I mean... He's actually done that a couple of times, I think. But yes, <laughs> I believe he did that again. Because my it's thing is, go to move. My thing is always like, well, maybe Rand Ball's a little older. These guys are all too old. 
Uh, nobody's printing stuff off, Rand. So the idea that you printed that off is <laughs> because you're going to ruin your printer. It's not going to have any ink in, in it left. You're going to have to fill the thing of paper up a couple of times, right? Uh, so that, you know, and then was it, did you use the two-sided paper or did you go one, one side at a time to make that pile bigger? I'm going to get to the single-sided. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, so go, getting back to, you for you know, Governor Evers, the news uh, last week, you know, the $150 checks always makes the news, but we, we ended up having, I think, a, almost a $3 billion surplus, $3 billion more I think $2.9 billion more. It's funny how we round up billion. It's just like, eh, billion, a couple hundred billion. It's fine. $100 million. But um, first of all, six months ago, we didn't have this $3 billion surplus. It just, it just comes to fruition six months later, these predictors. Uh, are we just doing – do we have some people that aren't great at predicting budget surpluses? Because we were off by $3 billion. That seems like a lot in six months. So I, I know that $3 billion is a really big number. Uh, in terms of the entire state budget, it, it's actually relatively small. And, I mean, what happens with these revenue forecasts is that somebody has to take a guess at how the entire state economy is going to do over the next several months. And the end of 2021, economically, was actually pretty good. I think that uh, we saw business get back to more of what we used to think of as normal. Um, home sales are certainly up. So the, the sales tax collection, the income tax collections, those were all up uh, and up more than expected. And so we have this delightfully wonderful problem of having more collected in state revenue than we had planned to need. And I tell you what, I, for one, would be happy to get $150 back. Yeah, definitely. Um, how do we how do we get to this budget surplus? Is it because uh, I think when when we hear tax collections, we automatically think that the uh, Evers raised taxes on all of us and he's just taking more money out of our pockets than ever before. Is it that, or is it like we got twelve hundred dollar checks and six hundred dollar checks, and the economy is actually better than it's ever been? I think isn't it better than it's ever been in the history of ever? And we're spending, we're essentially, we're spending more money, therefore tax revenue is, is increased because, you know, stuff like sales taxes? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're spending like never before. Uh, the economy, again, it depends on what measure you want to pick, but it can look really rosy, especially if you just measure, again, how much money we're spending. Uh, and so some things look really good, and that's led to a lot more tax collections than they thought that they were going to be able to get. And so what happens at the state level is they have to set a budget a full year in advance, usually longer than that, a year and a half, sometimes two years in advance, of how much they're going to spend. This has to get approved. You know, this goes through the legislature, the governor's office, and so on and so forth. So uh, you pick how much money you're going to spend, and then you see and you hope that you're right on how much money you're going to bring in. And if you're short... You're either going to have to cut spending or borrow more, or if you're over, like we are now, you can either, you have a couple different options. Uh, I'm a little surprised there hasn't been a um, some something put forward to, to spend the money yet. That's what I was waiting for as soon as I heard that we had a budget surplus, that there was going to be some, some new immediate program to spend the money on. Uh, or, again, if, if you have the money, you can give it back to the people who gave it to you in the first place. So uh, I, for one, am, am certainly looking forward to 
uh, a potential bigger refund if they put this in with the the tax refund whenever you do your taxes. Uh, I would certainly welcome another couple hundred dollars on my tax refund this year. Well, Governor Evers put out a plan, and I think some of this is is uh, um, $815 million in tax rebates, $102 million in a caregiver tax credit, $30 million to increase the child and independent care credit, and $750 million to K-12, UW system, and tech colleges. So there is a plan. Evers has a plan. Republicans said... We we flipped the script because it's an election year. Evers wants to give out the money, and then Republicans in the state legislature say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hey, to, well, hold up! We got to wait. We got to see what happens in the future. We don't know about this economy. We're going to wait until uh, maybe we have a governor in office and do this in a, <laughs> uh, next year. We're going to wait a year on this because obviously they want to they want to take credit for giving away the budget surplus. So they're going to wait to see if their governor wins. Oh, of course, this is. This is politics as usual. Uh, you, you've obviously seen what uh, what a kerfuffle has arisen in in response to a Supreme Court justice resigning and uh, or re- retiring, I should say. Um, this is this is the political world that we live in right now. <laughs> Every decision is is run through the political lens, and uh, depending on how that's going to affect a party, we see different opinions on what we should do. What's frustrating is that I wish that they were running it through the lens of how is this going to affect the people that are paying these taxes, these constituents, these voters, these these citizens, us. Yeah, definitely. We're speaking with Adam Hoffer. He's a political economist. He's a professor of economy at UW Lacrosse. Um, all right, let's let's talk about inflation for a little bit here. The you know it's it's Biden's fault. All this inflation, Joe Biden's fault, it has nothing to do with what's happened over the past two years. Uh, you know, that pandemic thing, that's not why we would have inflation or what we were doing to try to solve the pandemic. But my thing with inflation is when when a company says it's got to raise prices, like Chipotle said it had to raise prices, uh, it, it doesn't talk about how much profits Chipotle is getting back. Like they're, all these corporations are making record profits. They're using those profits in what's called, a, you know, a stock buyback. So they're buying back themselves. And then they're giving their CEOs raises and bonuses on top of that. They never mention that when they're saying, "Oh, we're you know we're increasing the the cost of a burrito by you know six percent to pay for the inflation because it's Joe Biden's fault." But it seems like you know there's more to it than just you know it's the Democrats' fault. Sure. I mean, so first let me uh, let me do my best to separate out the idea of inflation from any political party. <laughs> assigning fault here. Okay, perfect. Uh, the like so in- inflation is simply a measure of prices and we've been seeing prices go up in almost every sector of the economy. Obviously, you can look around and see gas prices are more expensive. Uh, you know, I got hit with a wicked heating bill <laughs> last month because energy prices are through the roof. Uh, we're seeing home prices go up, right? Prices across the economy are going up, and uh, this can be caused by a lot of different reasons. Um, of course, some of these political policies we put in place cause things like shortages, and right. Uh, of course, when we encourage people not to work, maybe because there's a pandemic, uh, then less stuff will get produced, and when we have less less stuff, that stuff is more expensive. Um, but also uh, from you know the economic standpoint, we we printed more money than we've ever printed before in the past couple of years. 
So the expectation is that prices are going to go up, and that's exactly what we're seeing. So prices are going up. Uh, The question that we face right now is, what are we going to do about it? Yeah, well, are you going to answer that or not? What are we going to do about it? (laughs) I was going to give you a chance to jump in and and throw some suggestions. My idea is always, uh, you know, in the NBA, so billionaire owners that own sports teams, NBA, NFL, they, they got more money than they know what to do with. And in, instead of like killing each killing each other off by uh, like if LeBron James or Aaron Rodgers hit the hit the quote unquote free market, they would end up paying that guy a hundred million dollars a year if there was no salary cap. That like Aaron Rodgers would make a hundred million, LeBron James in his prime, who knows like how much money? Giannis Antetokounmpo in Milwaukee, who knows how much money he would make a year if a team didn't have the restraints of a salary cap. So in my head, I'm, I'm always like, why don't we have a CEO salary cap where CEOs can only make so much, you know, maybe maybe not like we got to cap them at $5 million a year. But what if we did like, you know, if a CEO makes $1 million a year, their lowest worker in the in the in the company has to make what 20 uh, percent of whatever the CEO makes or something like where it's a percentage of, you know, so the, the wages aren't so so disparaging. Sure. I mean. <laughs> Uh, I've seen I, I've seen proposals like this over time. Uh, obviously, the uh, the idea of CEO pay, uh, and when you see some of the numbers, they, they certainly seem outrageous. Uh, do I think that having some sort of cap on CEO pay is going to affect the the overall inflation across the economy? I think probably not. Do you do you um, laugh at my? You're probably laughing at how stupid the proposal is, right? They even I'm even talking about it or asking you about it. CEO a CEO salary cap is ridiculous, but the the idea here is to get workers paid more because things aren't going to go. You know, my my Jack's Pizza that cost me two dollars uh, a couple of years ago cost me two fifty or three dollars now. My but my wages aren't going up with the you know with the the cost. The inflation cost of everyday items goes up a little bit. But uh, in terms of housing, stuff like that, the, the prices are, are going up astronomically, and my wages aren't going up to keep, aren't keeping up with that in percentage terms. Yeah, no, I, uh, b- before we hopped on the call, I, I, I took a minute and I sat down and I looked at uh, my wages for the past 10 years, and over 10 years, adjusted for inflation, I will make less this year than I did 10 years ago. And it, it seems absolutely crazy. Right. Um, let, let me get back to this idea of inflation and and one I I you know the the idea of a CEO salary cap is not the craziest thing out there. It's also it, it it's one of these things that I worry would would pass through Congress as some form of solution to inflation, and then it's not going to do anything. Uh, but the overall idea is not the worst one that that I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> The what what I want to also make sure we avoid doing is messing too much with prices because uh, the idea that prices are going up is is not say a bad thing. It's prices should the goal of a price is to reflect information in the market so we don't run out of things or have far too much of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Obviously, if, if if houses were all worth a dollar, I think we'd all buy a whole bunch of them. Right, the, so there's a reason that the prices have gone up. Right, the, the goal of the price is to to balance out the supply and demand, and it's. I mean, you can look at it as a good thing that demand has been going up, driving these prices up. 
what I'd like to see us do is focus more on the supply side of things. I actually I had a, I had an opportunity to sit down with the mayor on Friday, and we talked about housing in the city. And there is one and only one fundamental, simple way to address a housing price issue. If you want more affordable housing in the city, you have to build more housing. You have to increase that supply. You have to get more of it. That's not always an easy thing to just do, but it's the market-oriented solution. We need more housing if we want more affordable housing. Yeah, that makes sense. But it's hard to do in lacrosse, too, because there's a river on one side and a bluff on the other, and we can only go in one direction, well, two directions, but it, it gets harder as we go each way as we get further away from, you know, lacrosse. Right. And, I mean, obviously, for the city of lacrosse in particular, we have, you know, uh, on Alaska and, and Holman, we, we see where, you know, the, the proverbial sprawl is happening. Uh, although the, the mayor did a wonderful job of reminding me that, um, we're facing right now the biggest housing boom, the biggest construction boom that the city has ever seen uh, with the, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if, if you noticed the, the new proposed idea for the old Kmart building, um, oh, yeah. the Copper Rocks, yep. going to be a, you know some housing development and mixed use. Uh, there's all of the new River Point district that is, uh, I say, in the works. It's going to be a couple of years until we see that fully developed, but... Um, there's going to be a lot more housing here. I, I think if somebody if somebody were to leave today and come back in 10 years, uh, th- I think the city is going to look a lot different, uh, and hopefully for the better. Yeah, we need more housing, more more ability to buy houses, probably more ability to rent, because rent rent is kind of out of control too a little bit, right? I mean, rent prices have gone up with house prices. Uh, obviously, just uh, to take the simple example of, if you're going to buy a house with the plan to rent it out, if you're paying more for the house, you're going to have to charge more for rent in order to make that mortgage payment. Yeah, I got to it's all about you got to make money if you're going to be in the landlord game too, so <laughs> Yeah, all... well, I mean, I uh it, it it's funny. I uh I was talking with some of my students and explaining this and uh you know, I of course I can buy a, a house that's for sale in the city of Lacrosse and I could rent it out. Uh I'm like but I'm going to need 20% for that down payment. And at the end of the day, if I'm going to put that 20% down on a property, that 20% better make me more than if I just bought Apple stock. Because Apple stock, the company Apple is never calling me to make a decision to fix their door, to fix their toilet that's running, or to let them in at 2 a.m. because they, they lost their keys. Yeah, definitely. That's Adam Hoffer. He's a UW lacrosse political uh, political science uh, professor of economics, but gets into the political economy as well. Thanks a lot, Adam. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, we'll see you. Have a good night. All right, there was there was more stuff I wanted to cover. I wasn't even able to get to it all, but uh, we could always have him back. All right, I got to take one more break. All right, that's going to wrap up a Monday of Lacrosse Talk PM. Thanks a lot to Adam Hoffer, the Hoff, right? <laughs> UW Lacrosse, uh, professor of economics, been doing that 10 years. Uh, really kind of wanted to get into the unemployment numbers, too, and, and just where we go with employment, but uh, ran out of time. That was on the bottom of the list. I probably should have made it the top of the list when they proposed ridiculous ideas like a CEO salary cap, trying to have a serious conversation.